Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit. Every single one of them looks like they were there storming the Capitol on January 6th. Especially Brandon Marsh and what's his name, the third baseman, Bone. All of them. I think Marshy, Marshy looks like the, the MAGA shaman. I think that I think we might see him get arrested before the playoffs are over. <laughs> but this is not a uh, commiserating baseball losses podcast. This is Cinema Chop Shop, a movie podcast where we sit around and talk shit about movies. And this being October, we are in the middle of knockoff month. We're talking about knockoff movies. This is week three, and this week I'm joined... By Joey Poole. Hello, hello. Todd. What up? And I'm your host, Sean, and we're going to be talking about Alien knockoffs. Of course, we're talking Alien, the original from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, and the classic film starring Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, Ian Holm, and Yafet Koto. Here's my question about this. Uh, I don't usually put too much stock into like Rotten Tomatoes scores, but what is the Rotten Tomatoes score for Alien? It's, it's obviously pretty high. Okay. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but those are a function of good reviews and bad reviews. So that means 2% of people badly reviewed Alien, right? Is that what that means? Yeah, but also um, a certain reviews are called from like reviews from back in the day versus some of them are like very fresh and recent. So I don't know if they're pulling information from that far back or are they going with more recent And that's reviews. one problem with Rotten Tomatoes is sometimes it, it depends. Like some movies, it's all contemporary. Some movies, it's mostly uh, uh, contemporary of the time of the film. Sometimes it's a mixture of the two. And then it just how you interpret the score is kind but of... But I get where you're going with this, well, what I'm go, where What I'm trying to say is, obviously, art is subjective, but who are these people that are badly reviewing Alien? Is that who not... Who are like, these people? <laughs> it's like that one out of ten dentists who don't recommend flossing. Ah, yeah. It's like, what mm-hmm. the fuck, dude? Yeah. I can understand it's not your thing, but it's a fucking groundwork of horror and science fiction, and it's just impeccably done. Prob- if I had to guess, I would say it was probably a contemporary 1979 review of someone who just didn't know, get it. Didn't They're get trying it. to cash in on Star Wars. Right. And, okay, sure. So, yeah, the film uh, is a it's a bottle uh, episode. Obviously, it's all take most of it takes place inside the ship, the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. Right. There is an off-world excursion where the alien is introduced into the ecosystem of the crew. But uh, for the most part, it is a bottle episode. Very limited cast. Do you know what Nostromo means? What? A shipmate. Oh. So oh, it, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. They took on a, a shipmate, yeah. mm-hmm. whether they liked it or not. Yep. Now, when this film was being produced, or in planning, rather, um, we have um, a script that very much echoes back to the 1950s and 60s terror and threat from outer space type film. And that's very much the path that it was following until Ridley Scott came on board as the director. And that's where he put his foot down and says, no, we're not going to be a schlocky film. We're going to make this serious and we're going to do some things differently to make this film stand out. Uh, For me, most notably the effective use of lighting in this film really sets the tone, especially after watching five knockoff films. Lighting makes such a huge difference in this type of movie. Um, 
the music was by Jerry Goldsmith, probably oh. probably my least favorite composer for film, but that's mostly later in his life and later in his career. This one, I think he was pretty spot on for mm-hmm. for the film. Yeah, great um, score. That I think that and another thing that that elevates it is the the just claustrophobic feel of the ship. You're talking like a bottle episode, but how, it's just a very gritty kind of. It's it's kind of a gritty like working class film mm-hmm. um, because it's very much about the crew being screwed over by the corporation whose name I, is I, I made a note of but I can't remember off the top of my head yeah. uh, uh, but it's very know. much about that's one of the yeah, like being one things over that by elevates the man. it yeah uh, and of course the uh, stroke of genius for the film in terms of its look and feel was the introduction of the designs of H.R. Geiger H.R. Giger depending on what part of the world you're from. His book, The Necronomicon, where he had some of these drawings that the alien itself were taken from, but also the innards of the ship as well, echoing that same kind of coiled look and you know long uh, tubes and things that kind of played into the camouflage of the alien on board the ship. Absolute just master class in art design, I think. Oh, the name of the corporation uh, was Wayland Yutani. Mm-hmm. Wayland Yutani. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only the only aspect of the film that's dated uh, for me is the uh, mother the the room where you would go to interface with mother? It looked like just a lot of Christmas lights. Yeah, I do love the aesthetic. Now of... we have Alexa all over our homes. <laughs> yeah, we don't, yeah, I do love the aesthetic of their computers, though the the, the green and black uh, readout on the computer. I still think that that works so well with the aesthetic of the film. I think it's a masterfully done uh, piece of sci-fi horror, and in terms of a cat and mouse game. It really hits on, on, on all the points that, that you want. Literally with a cat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> as I was joking with Todd, I follow somebody on TikTok who referred to Alien as being a woman risks it all for her cat in space. <laughs> <laughs> Ripley is the ultimate cat lady. It's not a bad synopsis, space. actually. Yeah. Oh, and I guess the other thing that should be noted, it was, uh, it, it was Ridley Scott who said we need to cast a woman in the lead role. That was not in the script. And that was his stroke of genius to put a capable female in the lead. Definitely another thing to kind of set it apart from the glut of sci-fi epics that were going on at the time. You've got uh, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Space Team 99 on television. You know, things like that were, were very much in this, this carbon copy, rubber stamp kind of sci-fi template. And so putting her in the lead was, uh, was, was a stroke of genius, I think. And then, of course, we have to talk about the alien itself and the uh, wonderful uh, puppetry with that. Um, the uh, creature uses a human host element uh, is something that we'll see pop up frequently um, in these knockoff movies. Reproduction! Indeed. Um, and and there's almost this sort of weird fear of female reproduction, I think, that maybe if you wanted to psychoanalyze it a little bit, yeah, pops up into these movies. I wrote a paper about that very idea in a film in a sci-fi film class in college. Oh, wow. really? Yeah, I did. Take up yeah. that paper and then we'll. Uh, I should. Post yeah. it on we should have brought chop it. Shop, uh, <laughs> we got to have supplemental uh, material for yeah. our Patreon subscribers, which we don't have a Patreon. Yeah. Wait, can we make money doing this? No, well, not okay. with, not with our giant <laughs> listening pool. By the way, we just eclipsed uh, twenty thousand downloads 
uh, for the show. So thank you, listener. If all you all three of you donate a dollar, <laughs> we'll we could three dollars. We could drink yeah. free. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, one more thing before we 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 exhaust to talk about Alien. This is one thing I've all, I've always admired about this movie. There's this old adage in, in horror and sci-fi that you never show the creature. You know, it's more effective to kind of you get glimpses yeah. of it, your suggestions of it. You see it in shadow. You don't. You never get a good look at it. And there's something to be said for that. There's also something to be said for the satisfaction of knowing what the fuck you're dealing with, especially when it has a really cool design. Mm-hmm. And this movie and this franchise kind of is the best of both worlds about that because yeah. we never really get a good look at it for a while in the movie, but mm-hmm. when we do, it's really really striking and then over the course of all the endless sequels not just movie sequels there's a comic series written I think by Benjamin Percy uh, that kind of really get into like the life cycle of the alien which is fascinating in a kind of geeky nerdy way and so I think that this is in some ways is the best of both worlds when it comes to that approach to the actual monster well and it's also an expertly use use of the uh, jump scare because mm-hmm. we see, instead of saving the alien for the very end, as oftentimes we see in these creature feature type movies, uh, it pops up here and there, and it's always at some opportune, scary time, like popping out of a chest, or and then we don't see it for a while, and it's scooting around. Is it still, in, you know, is it still on the ship, etc.? And then it'll pop up again. Um, and so I think that, you know. Jump scares, of course, get a bad name in horror, but they can be very effective if, if used expertly. And I think that really Scott does a great job in this movie yeah, of doing that. Definitely. So, to your point about the uh, seeing the uh, the alien in full, we're introduced to bits and pieces, and that's so smart. Uh, when Tom Skerritt's character interacts with the alien for the first time, and you just see that quick boom, boom, and it's done. Mm-hmm. So smart. So smart, and and what we'll discover in these knockoffs is that when you show too much, all the flaws are on display for everyone to see and make fun of, even uh, 40 years later. Okay, uh, let's jump into some some knockoffs. You want to you wanna talk about knockoffs? Let's do it. That's what we're here for. Okay, so uh, I'll just take it clockwise. Joey, do you want to go first? Sure. I debated about which order I'm going to present these in, um, but I'm going to just talk about this one first for no other reason than it's the most fun of the three movies that I've selected to talk about. Uh, this is 1990's uh, The Suckling. Yes. And uh, there's the, seen this one. the theme that I have here is movies that I think, to varying degrees, get unfairly classified as alien knockoffs. Um, and this one... I mean, this is a straight-to-video gem. It's a real Schrodinger's cat of a movie. Um, it is simultaneously it's utter trash, uh, and it's also a cult classic. Uh, I'm going to say something which is going to piss a certain segment of our audience and our uh, panel here off, but uh, Troll 2 is often thought of as like the end-all, be-all of the good-bad movie. I think on my next ballot, I'm going to put this one as number one. Okay. Hey, wow. yeah, that do not piss me off. All right. Um, I'm a fan of Troll 2, I must say, but, you know. Now, this I'll, film's I'll also... other contenders. This film's also known as Sewer Baby. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's actually a better name, a more apt <laughs> Sewage name Baby, it. sorry. It's Sewage weird how baby. these creature features very often have uh, second titles, you know? And sometimes those titles will be the ones they show on the screen, but then they're... 
advertised as something else. Yes. You know, so anyway, I have a couple of examples of that. Actually. I do too. The suckling or sewage baby, uh, as it were, uh, it's basically kind of a GOP nightmare of what an abortion clinic is like. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it, it's set in a, an abortion clinic, which doubles uh, as a CD brothel. Mm. Uh, you get an idea of what you're in, uh, in for very early on in the movie. It begins basically with a scene uh, in the brothel where a topless sex worker uses a, she cracks a whip. Uh, to and it wraps around a fleshy, veiny, dick-shaped dildo that a man is holding in his, one of her jaunts is holding in his hand, uh, complete with cartoony sound effects. That's nice. She grabs it and then begin. Uh, she begins to give him a really good rogering uh, with oh. the uh, with the dildo, uh, complete okay. also with car- cartoony sound effects that sound something like this. Okay. So okay. that's what you're in for with this movie. Uh, let's not belabor the plot too much. Uh, there's an abortion. The aborted fetus gets literally dumped down the drain, where toxic Avenger style barrels of toxic waste or which alligator. Are, we talk about. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but these look like the toxic Avenger. Like they they're, they're marked toxic. They literally say toxic waste. Nice, nice. Let uh, everyone know what they are. <laughs> it begins dripping onto the baby, which then mutates into a giant flesh-eating monster uh so there's your movie uh as an alien ripoff uh or knockoff as it were i don't really think it's it's not fair to call it a knockoff of alien this movie's got knockoff written all over it as most of the straight to video gems do the opening theme sounds so much like the theme to halloween that carpenter should have sued like led zeppelin sued spirit about whatever song that was it supposedly sounds like uh stairway to heaven the film itself is is bears really not much in the way of resemblance to Alien, except for the design of the creature itself, which looks like a flesh-colored alien if the alien were done as a guy in a rubber suit rather than as, you know, the, the animatronics that they did it with in the Now, this, one, film. this film features the unbirthed scene. Yeah, and there's also that. that, that it, that's another similarity it has to Alien. Clearly an homage, I would say, to Alien. The creature at one point um, goes back into the womb uh, in a scene which is very reminiscent of the chest burst scene in Alien, Mm. but in reverse. I would go so far as to say the alien races back into the womb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, something weird. Like it, it's running toward her, and then all of a sudden, it's 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 transformed back into like a fetus-looking, much smaller creature. Without uh, we don't know how, exactly how that happens. Mm. Uh, but other than that, which uh, you know, uh, obviously is reminiscent of Alien. I don't think it's fair to call this a knockoff of Alien as much as it is a a film that wears its Alien influences on its tattered tawdry sleeve (laughs) (laughs) so obviously we have the obsession with reproduction Mm -hmm. we have uh, the beast itself yeah but beyond that uh no corporate shenanigans i suppose that you could if if you wanted to you know put on your grad school glasses and do like a marxist reading of the movie you could see it as (laughs) class warfare but let that's let's not Uh, monster let's not get into that particular circle jerk monster cat and mouse not so much. Not so much. Yeah. The, the 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 most of the suspense is not really suspense. You the alien just jumps out and kills people in various ways. All right. So that is the suckling, aka sewage mm-hmm. baby. Yeah. All right, Todd, what you got? I have from nineteen eighty one a film called Inseminoid. 
So uh, this was a film directed by a guy named Norman J. Warren, uh, who was considered part of the new wave of British horror. He directed films uh, called Satan's Slave, uh, Prey, and Terror. And these films were usually kind of B-movie quality with some sexploitation thrown in or things of that nature. The uh, person who uh, did the special effects for this was a guy named Nick Maley, who prior to this actually, so this was after he had already established himself, did the, uh, was famous for uh, doing the animatronics for Yoda in wow. the Star Wars films. He also worked on Superman 2 as well. And so he did, in Seminoid, this B picture after he had already, you know, done Yoda. You would have thought he would have been on to, you know, bigger and better things but a demotion he got <laughs> dude just likes to work man yeah i guess so um well and 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 they and the uh the the uh, creatures end up looking actually fairly impressive i think um you know I mean, I was, uh, in, in a b-movie way but you know kind of mm-hmm. i was gonna yeah. say the, the same thing in in suckling slash sewage baby you know I, you know it's 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 kind of corny and it's it's very much looks like an alien knockoff dude in a rubber suit but it's actually pretty impressive practical effects for the budget that I'm sure this movie had. Other well-known people involved, uh, Richard Gordon was one of the producers who was, uh, he, he produced a lot of British uh, exploitation films like my favorite one, Fiend Without a Face from the not late 1950s. That's a great Which movie. was the Brain Vampire movie, if you've never seen that, yeah. seek it out. Shaw Brothers, who are famous for their Kung Fu movies, were co-producers on this. Basically, the plot is scientists who have gone down to this planet where they have discovered an ancient civilization. So it's archaeologists, essentially. Um, the ruins of an ancient uh, ancient civilization, alien civilization. And so it's not quite the corporate, you know, morally bankrupt uh, setup that you get in Alien and other sim- uh, movies of that ilk, but it creates the similar uh, setup where you have just a, a small number of people who are down on this planet, uh, and so they don't have, you, 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 that creates the sort of claustrophobic feel. Um, so certainly the, that claustrophobia uh, is intent, intended to be recreated for Inseminoid, where um, the uh, people get kind of trapped on the planet. There's this whole thing about, uh, chem- you know, the, the, apparently this alien species had uh, chemical intelligence uh, through these crystals. And I didn't, frankly, understand the logistics of all that. It didn't make a lot of sense. But these crystals become important because it is one way in which people become infected by the alien. Okay? Um, Now, the confusion comes in when we actually see one of the aliens. So I don't know... Um, so the name of the movie is Inseminoid. So probably most of you can kind of guess where this bad boy is going. Right. So so it seemed like the setup was supposed to be that these crystals slash chemical intelligence was behind everything. But then we actually see an alien who takes this phallus, uh, this phallic-like object with a blue, a blue substance stripping out of it and rapes one of the female archaeologists with it and impregnates her. So then she... I think you might be overthinking this, Todd. I don't think so. Todd? What? No. 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 We go from crystals to an actual alien. We never see this actual alien again. Uh, Presumably, he's impregnating a woman because they need the human host um, to save or reignite the species, I assume. Um, They don't really get too much into that, but that's 
kind of where, where I think they're going with it. And so anyway, we have this element, and really Aliens too, if you think about it, is kind of has an invasion of the body snatchers element to it, and you get yeah. a lot of that in this movie as well, where these crystals will infect people, sometimes vampire style of people, or, or zombie style of people get bitten, they become, they're alive, but they're you know acting on behalf of the alien race, uh, that type of thing. So the main character... Uh, the woman who's pregnant does everything she can, of course, to protect these babies, but she's f- trying to fight it too. So occasionally her real self comes forward, etc. In uh, pure alien style, eventually you have the birth of these two creatures, and it's twins, uh, alien twins. Now, this is the part where the, the characters in this movie are extremely stupid because instead of when they find these two creatures just by themselves, the mother has been distracted and, and run off. They could stomp their heads and kill them, but they apparently have sympathy for them and take them in, and swaddle them and take them <clears throat> into hiding. And then, of course, those two babies eat, uh, start eating people. So by the end of the, so that, that's the reveal at the end of the movie. They think that they've uh, saved uh, the people who weren't killed yet and stopped this madness. They go into the room and see the two babies are eating uh, the people who were left in the room with them. Lovely. Um, and then later on, a, a ship comes to check up on these people who they haven't heard from in a while. And the ending is that these two twins stow away on the of ship course. that has come to look for them. So in any Nicely case, done. So let's go over the, uh, the similarities. What do you got? So again, the capitalist venture element, not quite there, but uh, usually the way these uh, films handle is they go with the science instead. Yep. Um, so that's what this movie did. Um, the, uh, the badass woman angle is kind of there a little bit. Okay. Um, they, there are two female characters. One of them is the, the female character who gets impregnated, and she's kicking a lot of ass, but she's a bad guy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or she's become a bad guy because of her infection. And the other one is uh, this character uh, played by uh, the character, or she would eventually be in the first Hellraiser as the, um, uh, what was that character's name? Julia that was, uh, took up with Frank and Hellraiser. The remember? bitch? She was married to, um, yeah. and then she took up, yeah. She's in this movie and she plays sort of uh, that character that's trying to be the foil and hunt her down. She ends up getting killed though. So she doesn't get that Ripley we clearly, triumph, ha- we clearly have the beast. We've we have the beast. Um, there's the uh, pregnancy angle. Fear yep. of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the woman has been, has been uh, inseminated. Right in the name. Yep. Right there in the title. We have, uh, let's see. Cat and mouse. Cat and mouse, absolutely. The alien itself is hiding at times. When it imp- once it impregnates the woman, sometimes she tries to act normal. Other people who get infected <clears throat> try to act normal. That kind of thing. Cool. So we do see that cat and mouse uh, angle. Um, I mean, is I never thought about this until just this moment, but is Alien the genesis of body horror? No, no. Cronenberg was very active before this. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Like the Brood, yeah. the Brood, yeah. and yeah. even other movies. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like Cronenberg invented yeah. that okay. either. So correct. Uh, but yeah. There's, you know, totally. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna start off. I've got two and a half Corman movies. I say two and a half because number two and three, number three is a direct remake of number two. So anyway, we're going to start off with number one. This is Galaxy of Terror, 1982. Uh, It's directed by B.D. Clark. This is his last movie he directed. It stars Roy, Mr. Hand Walton from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, Mm. nice. 
Aaron Moran from uh, Happy Days, Joni Loves Chachi. It's Joni. Oh, oh, okay. Yep. I didn't know. Uh, a very young Robert England. Wow. Oh, nice. Sid Haig. Okay. Uh, it's got Grace Zabriskie, who played uh, the crazy wife of Palmer on Twin Peaks. Uh, you've got, uh, and then you have a guy named Edward Albert who is like a Tom Skerritt lookalike. <laughs> uh, interesting about this film, the art director was James Cameron. Wow. Even more interesting about this film, the set dresser on this film was a young man who had not yet started acting named Bill Paxton, who would later <laughs> go on to be in Aliens. You've got a film about this pyramid in space and these astronauts are checking it out this is where ancient aliens got their thing probably yeah. mm-hmm. um the uniforms look like it came right from the tv battlestar galactica from the late 70s the very khaki colored unis each of these astronauts are trying to investigate this this uh this pyramid and i guess one thing that this does a little uniquely and differently instead of having a a true beast alien uh, for a special effects artist to work with, the alien actually kind of takes on different manifestations for each individual person. So while one character might see a mirror image of himself as being the enemy, uh, like Sid Haig, for some reason, had a giant crystal throwing star. <laughs> and I don't know why. And he's, I forgot what he saw, but, badass. but he ended up uh, using the crystal against his, his own body. He cut off his own arm mm. and because he saw something slithering up his arm and his uh, severed arm grabbed the throwing star and killed Sid Haig with it. Uh, just some really dumb, bizarre kind of deaths, but everyone's picked off one by one by this alien, uh, and then the uh, the lead actor, the Tom Skerritt lookalike, ultimately has to, at the top of the pyramid, of course, has to be faced with each of his crew members coming back to face him in the manner in which they all died. Joni slash Aaron Moran had all of her skin melted off, and she was like nice. the next to last to go. And so he has to encounter, because he had the hots for her, so he has to encounter her without her skin, which... You know, it's unpleasant for anybody, I would sure. imagine. The one, a couple of things about this I thought were kind of neat. Um, the the off world scene in Alien that later became the template for uh, Prometheus, the big prequel movie. A lot of this film kind of, which I think is a great film, and people hate it, but I think, it, I think it's it okay. was important for what it did to the mythos of. Well, it definitely tried franchise. to restore some some seriousness and legitimacy. If you've ever seen Alien Four or Alien Resurrection, whatever it's mm. called, uh, they really were at a low point. Hitting on the uh, the 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 check boxes, uh, blue collars. Everybody is blue collar in this film. Yes, uh, is it a cat and mouse game? Yes. Obsession with reproduction, not so much. Um, was it schlocky? It tried to be not schlocky, but you know, as these low budget films go they typically are uh no capable female lead i don't think aaron moran really filled that role because she was just the she just wanted to be with the captain you know so no corporate shenanigans not really the beast definitely yes so uh that's the first of my uh roger corman uh alien knockoffs which i guess you know we should i think i mentioned at the beginning 
alien itself was kind of evocative of the old Roger Corman alien uh, menace from space kind of film. So it's kind of a full circle thing. He kind of owned it. So what's your take on the overall quality of of this film? Because I got to say, your synopsis of it sounded all made sound like it was awesome. <laughs> Coupled with some of the people who were involved who although early in their careers you would still think might show yeah, some flashes it, of their talent. Yeah, it's funny. In the right hands this could have been a really cool movie because of some of the, the it diverged from the path a little bit. The 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 you know having to to have your own little interaction with the alien that wasn't dealing with just a slimy beast, but instead something dealing with your mind. That was kind of a neat angle, I thought, but uh, so, not very well handled. Well, I know Corman was a producer on this, not the director. Right. But if Roger Corman had made, as a director or a producer, half as many movies as he did, we might be talking about him like we talk about John Carpenter. I've seen some great Roger. Oh Carpenter yeah, movies. yeah. Oh, His uh, Mask of the Red Death uh, is 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 a good movie. Yeah, I think that the Carmen, sure. Carmen gets a bad rap because he would like to shoot a movie in six days and everything's on the cheap. And Fuck it, let's make a movie, y'all. Yeah, exactly. It's like one take and we're done. They're paying us to do this shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We're burning daylight, folks. So. Yeah, his, his economy of, of, of filmmaking works against him a lot of the times because I think I think Roger Corman really had a lot of talent and he really knew how to make a good film if he wanted to. He's a pretty important figure in film history, I would say. I agree. I agree. I you know we we, we usually talk about him in laughable terms because of some of these films where he's just kind of behind them and like the Fantastic Four film that was terrible. That was awful. You know, and it's unfortunate because yeah, I don't want to diminish some of the achievements that he had early on in his career. I think in addition some to stuff. some of the movies he made himself, he uh, was heavy, heavily involved with getting a lot of European uh, directors uh, distributed over here for the first time. Like I believe uh, uh, Bergman, I, I think uh, he helped get distributed over here back in the early sixties. Wait, what? And, yeah. Emar Bergman. Emar Bergman, the director. Yeah, yeah I, I know, but I'm saying, no, but he that was seems... involved with helping mm-hmm. get, him wow. uh, distributed over well here. we even talked about it last week on the uh, gremlins episode you know people like francis ford coppola you know mm-hmm. got to start shooting Steven spielberg yeah i mean he was instrumental in getting a lot of these m- filmmakers who we hold in some degree of reverence today off the ground and giving them their their start obviously like i just said uh you you've got uh, james cameron and and bill paxton who just happened to be a guy who's doing set dressing so the folks that orbit him are are significant. So, and yeah. it's important too with the director. So if you listen to the directors that uh, worked with him, you know, talk about him, he let them have more or less free reign. Like he was very artistically friendly. So even though he would give them the constraints of the budget, etc., but he would let them kind of do their thing. Well, there we go. That's our first round. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna go pee in the yard, but not before we say. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves some eggs. Cadbury eggs are disgusting. (laughs) Some placenta? Ew. Damn, Tom. With a birth theme. Come on. Well, where are you going to get it? I don't know. We got to go to the hospital. Yum, yum. 
It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. We promise to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go. And we're back. Thank you for sticking with us through intermission. We all took our little breaks in the yard. And uh, we're back with uh, a beer check-in. And Todd, you're going to take the lead. What you got today? Uh, I've got one uh, from The Veil from... uh, Wait a minute, I had it here. A second ago. Where are they? Oh, Richmond, Virginia. Sorry. Um, And this is their hazy IPA called Nerve Endings. And it's good. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty hoppy, uh, but tasty. Um, so, you know, depending on where you stand on hops and the degree to which you uh, light them um, <laughs> with your IPAs, I would, mm. what do you think? You like it? Mm. Lovely. Like yeah, it. It's good. The Veil does good work. Yeah. Um, if you get the chance, I recommend making them one of your stops. If you ever have to drive up to Richmond or even up to D.C., yeah. uh, it's worth the uh, detour. Yeah. Well, we're going to dive right back into our knockoffs. All right. So my next two films are, uh, again, my theme is movies that I think to some degree get unfairly labeled as alien knockoffs. Okay. Um, These next two, I think, and I've heard this kind of, bandied about and people talking about these these next two movies both of them i think have been labeled as that but really i mean there are certain stylistic similarities but the main thing that they share with alien is this horror in space thing right yes there's an old debate is alien a science fiction movie is it a horror movie it very much is both uh but i think it clearly is a horror movie with science fiction trappings. This one very much leans into the horror element of yes. it, I think. Mm-hmm. So this one is, is Life Force, 1985, directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, interesting tidbit here. Uh, we're talking about this being an alien knockoff, but Ridley Scott apparently has claimed that Alien was influenced more by Texas Chainsaw Massacre than any other film. I'm not sure exactly that I understand that influence other than <laughs> the terror aspect of it Cat and the mouse. being hunted down yeah. and the general grittiness of it. Yeah, grittiness for sure. Um, Maybe he just likes Toby Hooper. But that is apparently a thing that he has said. So, you know, that influence obviously works both ways. Uh, this is a movie set in the nearest future. Astronauts on a joint U.S.-British space shuttle mission uh, discover an alien ship in the tail of, of Halley's Comet. Uh, they go on board. It contains hundreds of these desiccated bat-like bodies. And then there are three humanoid creatures, very naked. Uh, oh, yeah. The one woman, two men. Uh, who are encased in these crystals that are kind of reminiscent of Superman 3 in some way. But they're in stasis, and then we jump to the ship arriving back at Earth, and everyone on board is dried up and dead, and it turns out that these alien, these humanoid aliens were essentially space vampires. Uh, this was actually based on a novel by Colin Wilson called Space Vampires. Uh, I have not read this book, but apparently it's actually much more philosophic, philosophically grounded than you would think it was. It's schlocky horror. 
You wouldn't necessarily know that from watching this film, however. Is it a knockoff? No. Other than the horror and space thing, and there are certain visual elements, the alien ship itself is in some ways visually reminiscent of, of Alien. Um, but other than that and this sort of horror and space thing, this is kind of its own movie. This actually feels more like an Alien knockoff to me. It feels more like an episode of classic Doctor Who. Okay. Uh, I don't recall there being space vampires in classic Doctor Who, but I'm sure that there were because that sounds like a very Doctor Who thing. Uh, And it has that same kind of vibe where it's like legitimately creepy and weird in in spots, but also kind of very self-consciously goofy as well. Um, So I think that this film is to some degree unfairly labeled as an alien knockoff. It's a good, not great movie. Isn't there a big name in this film? Oh, uh, did I write this like, down? Like Patrick um, Stewart. Patrick or Stewart is okay. in the film. Um, I didn't note the other actors. There are there are character actors that you you would recognize from other places, sure. but not necessarily okay. uh, you know household names. All right, Todd, you're up, bud. All right, I have got from 1985 a film called Creature. This film. Um, was directed by a guy named William Malone, who uh, didn't really do... Uh, so this was one of his first films. He later directed some terrible late 90s, early 2000s yeah. films. House on Haunted Hill, the remake from 99, and Fear.com. Fear. Fear.com! <laughs> this was probably his masterpiece, if, if ju- nice. you know, judging from those. Uh, and Sean, I, I'm going to give you credit for pointing this out to me, but the, the Skotak brothers... Uh, did the special effects for this, who would later do the special effects for... Aliens. Yes. A year later. And the special effects in this are actually quite good. Yep. Um, There are exploding heads and all kinds of good stuff. I actually... uh, This is kind of like an... Almost like Aliens meets Evil Dead, uh, sort of, because there's a lot of gore... Blood, guts, stuff like that, that uh, is really Mm. over the top. Let's talk uh, about the cast real quick. Oh, sure. So we have got a uh, Klaus Kinski. <laughs> oh, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, and he chewing is chewing the scene. I am he's in. Chewing it up and hamming it up. We've also got Mr. Lyman Ward, also known as uh, uh, Mr. Bueller. Ferris Ferris Bueller's father. In an alternate universe, Werner Herzog directed this movie with Klaus <laughs> Kinski, and it's awesome. There is a Ripley knockoff in this movie, uh, played by an actor. The, the character's name is Bryce, played by the actress Diane Salinger, who was Simone in, in Pee Wee's Big, Big Adventure. Adventure. Now she's actually the evil corporate girl. She's like, yeah, yeah. She's well, but then she tries to change. I mean, she's she's like Ripley in the sense that she's kind of you know standoff, yeah, yeah, and yeah. hardcore. Okay, the I'll beginning, buy that. And then she, you know, and and listen, the way that they made up uh, Diane Salinger's movie, they were clearly trying to make her look like. Sigourney Weaver in that film. I thought that, and I also thought like I felt like she came from the set of V, the TV series. Okay, yeah. I also uh, had Wendy Shaw, who showed up last week on the Critters episode. Oh, okay. uh, Gremlins Critters, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, who is the voice of Francine on American Dad, mm. and she's cute in this movie. Mm-hmm. Super cute. Is she the one that uh, has the naked scene? Uh, was Wendy naked in this one? Yeah, I think. She might have been. She was like the second to the lead. Yeah, okay. she was like like right at the end of the... She survived. Yeah, we'll get to this. There's a whole, just like uh, in Seminoid and uh, Alien 2, there's this whole uh, element where 
uh, invasion of the body snatchers type thing where various characters at various times, um, you know, are they normal? Are they not? Usually you can tell when they're not. Um, but in any case, uh, the, uh, the, uh, in the premise of the movie, uh, you, ha- you have your capitalist venture of moral ambiguity. Two of them are, uh, are in competition with one another. So you have one called NTI that is like an American um, group of, they're geologists. I don't know exactly what the hell they were supposed to be doing there. Someone else who... Yeah. Oh, they're going head-to-head <laughs> head with the West Germans. Yes, yeah. and they're going head-to-head head with the West Germans Richter Dynamics, which is who uh, Klaus <laughs> Kinski uh, works for. Um, so I wondered if that was just how they would explain why. How is it? Yeah. This, how? Will, oh, by the way, Wendy Shaw is not the one who is naked in this. There was a nameless actress who was okay, really naked in this. <laughs> um, so uh, the creatures in this are these uh, sort of brain vampire. They, they're they're parasites, I guess you'd say. They uh, attach themselves to the host so you, you have that host element and then they control them essentially and so kind of like invasion of the body snatchers that sort of thing um you usually can tell just like an invasion of the body snatchers when they've been snatched something's kind of off they don't yeah. sweat that's what they noticed in this film yeah mm. they try to lure them into places where they really shouldn't go um there's this whole <laughs> thing they crash land on this planet and so they're trying to get back there's this whole thing about not enough air and where can we get air so there's that claustrophobic element but the alien parasite is trying to lure them into areas where it'll, they'll get killed the scene uh, that we referenced earlier with the naked element one of the women is uh, of course a parasite she strips naked to distract uh, the, one of the male characters who these she they, lures him outside yep, lures him outside <laughs> nudity is a real thread in all these films because yes. she's buck naked <laughs> I guess because she's buck naked she he lets her take his helmet off knowing that it's, it's going to pretty much the same thing happens him. in life force okay yep yep, yep mm-hmm so we have the capitalist venture element we have the maze of the ship element that you see like in yep. alien you, we have the uh, cat and mouse element uh Humans are used as hosts, uh, so there's definitely a lot of uh, uh, overlap there, and certainly influence to be kind. I agree. Um, By the way, when when Simone, I'm going to call her Simone from yeah, TV's, right. when she comes back into the film after being gone since the beginning, her excuse was, "I got lost." Yeah. <laughs> Right. That was her quote. I think uh, they were trying to get a laugh because she was uh, supposed to be this standoffish badass who knew everything. By the so, way, oh, the, I got lost. The lead yeah. actor, uh, he looked like uh, David Harbour from Stranger Things mm-hmm. and Columbo had a baby. Yep. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he looked like. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right. Let me jump in. I'm going to go with my second uh, Roger Corman film. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and hit you with uh, two movies all at once. Uh, just so hold on tight. Uh, the second film is uh, Forbidden World, a.k.a. Mutant, from 1982, directed by Alan Holtzman. His other significant film that he directed was Grunt, the wrestling movie. I don't think I've seen this. Yeah, Todd, should. how have you not you seen it? I haven't seen it, but how have you not seen that? I don't know. I'm an aficionado. It stars Jesse Vent, who is in Chinatown and Silent Running, the very cute Don Dunlap from Night Shift, uh, June Chadwick, she was in Spinal Tap, and she was the second female in command on the TV series V. Corman reportedly smacked someone at the premiere of this film for laughing at it. 
like slapped. Wow. <laughs> Borrowed elements from the film I just talked about for Galaxy of Terror. Same. So this uh, is actually like a, you said a remake of the one. No, no, I haven't gotten to the remake. Okay, yet. so no. uh, there will be a remake. There will be a remake. Uh, so yes, they use the same ship uh, controls from the Galaxy of Terror. They use the same special of, special effects for the hyperspace uh, effects. They use the same thing. Uh, the lead actor um, looks like George C. Scott and Roy Scheider had a baby. Uh, they use the same Battlestar Galactica khaki jackets. In terms of plot, you've got corporate shenanigans. Uh, the lead scientist is wanting to cover up the fact that there's an alien in their midst. Um, he's overacting. He's coughing incessantly. He's got cancer. And it's just like, come on, dude. Are we supposed to guess that you're sick? I mean, it's it's obvious. One thing I thought was kind of funny, they, they actually used Blue Danube as one of their music cues i'm like oh you're 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 2001 space odyssey good job there yeah aim aim high there is a face hugger scene in this film so definitely a huge knockoff borrow from that uh there is a scene in the crew mess where they're all sitting around the table talking which is very much evocative of alien and the blue collar aspect of it there is lots of gratuitous nudity and sex in this one uh mm. it will not let you down apparently if you're uh if you're a space cowboy and you come to a space station the women are gonna fuck you mm. that's what i learned from this that's movie. how the galaxy okay. works Sean. That, yeah. that that is exactly what i learned yep. uh by the way the the lead character has a uh a sidekick robot so he's not a threat Clearly, he's not going to steal the poon. That's definitely, a, by the way, a 50s, 60s trope well, uh, yeah. that they're borrowing from where the uh, alien woman is always falls in love yeah. with the, you know... Well, all the women on this crew wore acrylic heels. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of their job, we call that the Captain Kirk effect. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, clear acrylic heels seem like great footwear to wear all day while you're working at a space station. Yep. Mm-hmm. One cool thing about this that I, that I thought was kind of neat, the, 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 the Xenomorph, uh, which, by the way, looked just like uh, The Little Shop of Horrors, another Corman film. Yeah. Just like, but, but instead of uh, green and plant-like, it's just like a black cannonball with sharp teeth. It's working on a food supply, like a permanent food supply, which is also what the scientists are working on in this film at the same time. So I thought that was kind of a neat little overlap uh, kind of thing. There is some tentacle porn, I think, in this. Uh, there are tentacles involved. Softcore tentacle they're, they're, porn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and at the end of the film, the alien pukes because what they do, <laughs> the the lead scientist who's sick forces the uh, the space cowboy guy to do surgery on him. He talks him through it. So he talks him through it and pulls out his tumor. And it's not a tumor. It is a tumor, and he feeds it to the alien. And that's what kills the alien. The alien cancer kills the alien. The alien vomits all over the place. It gratuitously vomits. It's like a spew fest. It's laughable. So I definitely recommend watching this one for a good laugh or two. Uh, Blue collar, yes. Cat and mouse, yes. Reproduction, yes. Corporate shenanigans, yes. The beast, yes. Uh, Capable female lead, kind of, sort of. Borrow just a few more minutes of time. In 1991, Corman produced a remake of this very movie called Dead Space, directed by Fred Gallo, who directed another Corman movie called Termination Man, which, as you can probably guess, is a Terminator ripoff. Is I'm not a video game guy, but the last video game that I played 
was Dead Space. Uh-huh. Is there any no. connection? No okay. connection. No, 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 no. No connection. This film stars the Beastmaster himself. Oh, yes. Mark Singer. Uh, Laura May Tate, who is in I Love Trouble, and she's really adorable, and she and I are friends on Twitter now. I'm sorry, X. It also stars a very young Brian Cranston oh, from wow. Breaking Bad in the role of the cancerous doctor. It also stars Judith Chapman. She was in The Sweetest Thing, 28 Days, and King Richard. She's from Greenville, South Carolina. But this is a direct ripoff of the previous film I just talked about, so I won't spend much time talking about it, other than the fact that the director, Fred Gallo, did not see the script until the day before shooting started. <laughs> now, that's Roger Corman efficiency. It's seriously, it was a product of the 90s. They made no qualms about it, even though it was set in the future. There's a girl wearing a fucking scrunchie. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's about as melodramatic as a soap <laughs> opera. The guns, by the way, do not shoot lasers in this futuristic uh, movie. They shoot bullets. Mm. So, you know, fuck you in your future. It's pretty crazy. Uh, the, the, mo- the monster was a mobile, the special effects monster. It could not move around. They literally had to walk to the monster in their uh, confrontation scenes. Uh, Mark Singer actually lifted Brian Cranston to the monster at the end uh so uh, and it bit his head off so thank you beastmaster for decapitating uh you know walter white yeah it's pretty shitty so anyway there you go i just want to take this this moment to uh just come out as a beastmaster fanboy well, did, um, i thought we knew that already we, we probably did yeah we, we've talked about it. yeah i did that movie uh several months ago on an episode but uh <laughs> yeah if, if uh, anybody out there is interested in uh, a Beastmaster sequel, I'm offering to write that. What Joey meant to say was if anybody's interested in some Beastmaster cosplay, <laughs> you can reach him at MarkSingerFanboy.com. <laughs> I've seen myself in a loincloth, and it is, uh, it's not pretty. Yeah. All right. You're up, bud. Go. <laughs> All right. So, again, these are movies that I think, to, to varying degrees get unfairly labeled as alien uh, ripoffs. Um, and this is one that I've actually heard uh, that term bandied about again about as well. It's Event Horizon from 1997. Uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who actually did uh, one of the Alien vs. Predator movies in addition to a whole bunch of video movies, video game movies, he did Mortal Kombat. He did like three or four of the Resident Evils. So that's what he's all about. Uh, Event Horizon is probably his best film. Uh, it stars, um, I think we all uh, share in this, uh, our shared love of Sam Neill. Yep. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's probably, it's one of the, I'm not saying it's the last movie that like actually scared me and got under my skin. Yeah. But it's one of the last movies that like really, really got under my skin mm-hmm. and, and, and before I became really jaded as a horror fan. Seven years after having left Earth and disappearing, the event horizon uh, which looks very much like a ship that would be in the alien universe. Yeah, I agree. It's a light speed ship that works on this principle of folding space. Um, it's just a warp drive, basically. Yeah. Um, so uh, it mysteriously pops up orbiting Neptune and is sending a distress signal. Uh, Sam Neill is the captain of a ship which is sent to investigate. And... 
Uh, when they get there, the ship is empty. Seems like there's been a massacre on board of some site and then of some type. And then as they try to reclaim the ship from its decaying orbit, they begin to hallucinate, uh, have visions based on their own nightmares and regrets. Uh, it gets really complicated. Uh, there are some alien parallels here. Uh, the corporate thing, possibly because of the way that the powers that be treat Sam Neill and his crew. It sounds like a lot like Galaxy of Terror with mm-hmm. the pyramid thing where you're facing off against yourself and the aliens taking on manifestations. There's a lot of similarities between these two. Yeah, instead of instead of there being like an alien creature that we're fighting against, it's, it's this sort of Lovecraftian, yeah. like, you know, this idea of like... Of course, this know, movie is much, much better than what I talked about. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. And it's, uh, you know, they, they basically they descend into madness because of the 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 space and time folding nature of the ship's nature of tra- uh, method of travel basically opens up a portal to this other dimension that we might for lack of a better word call hell but other than the the whole horror in space thing uh, I, I wouldn't call this one an alien knockoff certainly it bears the influence of alien in the ship design in the claustrophobic nature of it uh, but it's a disservice to this film to call it an alien knockoff because it is a great movie. And it is one of the, like I said, rare horror films that actually scared the shit out of me and yeah. when I actually saw it. Um, and it's, you know. It'll I, stick with you. It really will. Uh, both because of the really gruesome special effects. Uh, there's a couple of, I won't ruin anything for people who haven't seen it, but. Uh, there's some really gruesome kills in this movie, basically. Just the the d- existential dread yeah. of it. Just, it's just dripping, that kind of stuff. It's a, it's I a think that's film. where a lot of the comparison can come from, though. There is that dread that carries across both of the movies uh, very similarly. Mm-hmm. Well, Todd's over here bouncing in his chair. He's wanting to go. So, 1989, Alien from the Abyss. Which, as the title will suggest, is a knockoff not just of Alien, but also of The Abyss that had come out, I believe, a year earlier. Um, These are from our Italian friends, who, as I pontificated about on a a previous episode a couple weeks ago, they just, their producers just love to hire their directors to rip off whatever is popular uh, in American cinema at the time. The director in this case was a guy named Antonio Margariti. So... He's in this lineage of guys like Jess Franco, uh, Umberto Lindsay, guys who began their careers uh, in the uh, late 60s and bounced around from genre to genre depending on whatever the producer needed them to do at the time. Spaghetti westerns, uh, gangster films, uh, cannibal movies. Uh, he So, for example, uh, his, probably his two most famous uh, movies was a spaghetti western from 68 called Vengeance. And then 12 years later in 1980, he did a movie called A Cannibal uh, Apocalypse. So, he, uh, you know, these guys are bouncing around from genre to genre. And I actually, these guys are working class directors. Um, they're not, you know, a feat you know, artists who have to do their vision or whatever. Someone offers them money to make a movie and by God, they're going to make it and they're going to do it to the best of their ability. Um, so in any case, uh, this film, uh, alien from the abyss, um, is basically Joe uh, versus uh, Joe versus the volcano meets aliens. Um, <laughs> you have, uh, Greenpeace 
a green a, a male female Greenpeace team uh, goes to this island to uh, expose this evil corporation. So we've got the evil corporation who who is uh, dumping toxic waste uh, into an active volcano. Um, why I don't know. Uh, but um, is that actually what ha- is is that the premise of Joe versus the volcano? No, but there's the romantic. There's a volcano, and there's a romantic angle, which okay. is in this. So that's why it's I been that's why decades I it's since I saw that film. So, um, yeah. so anyway, the, the the Greenpeace team goes there in order to uh, expose the sh- uh, corporate shenanigans. Um, what ends up happening though is that because of this. A combination of nuclear or, or a combination of toxic waste and an active volcano. Now, it is creates, it labeled clearly as toxic waste? Not, not in that case. <laughs> uh, but it's in the barrels that signify toxic mm. waste in movies usually. But what ends up happening is that there uh, ends up being a creature that is evolves from this mix from this demonic mixture uh, that uh, comes to start terrorizing people. And the Greenpeace team uh, kind of gets ta- uh, caught up in it. Um, and uh, there's also an evil, uh, the evil capitalist who's sort of the, the manager of all this and is insisting on let's move forward with the corporate agenda against all odds guy. is a guy named Charles Napier who plays uh, Colonel uh, Kavaki. He, was, uh, he played Marshall Murdoch in Rambo 2, for those of you who uh, remember Rambo 2. Maybe not. Anyway, he's also very. You'll, if you see this guy, he's very familiar character actor and a lot of stuff. The uh, alien uh, similarities here. Uh, so the uh, the creature itself is a essentially is they call it the giant claw, and it's literally like a rubber claw when you see it on the screen nice. with some animatronic properties. Um, <laughs> some. Yes, correct. <laughs> That's like saying Chuck E. Cheese has some <laughs> animatronic <Yes>. properties. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're working on a cheap budget here, as the Italians uh, uh, genre. So Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. Um, so you have the uh, the, the creature. <clears throat> it's a claw, so it's sort of, I guess, probably trying to invoke that kind of alien through the stomach thing. Uh, the abyss. If you've ever seen the abyss, it's sort of invoking that thing because the creature actually somehow, and I don't get the what they expect the science to be of this. The creature from the volcano ends up manifesting itself in the ocean. Don't ask me what the science is behind that, but anyway, that's the the abyss part of it. Um, its larval form lives in lava, I, and its adult form lives in salt water. Okay, you should have been a writer for for the uh, the film, I guess. <laughs> The uh, Greenpeace triumphs over the the evil corporation. Eventually, this is one of the this is one of the ones where it got kind of goes back and forth in these uh, in Alien and the Alien knockoffs whether or not the who triumphs. They make in some movies they make you think one side triumphs and it turns out in this case uh, the good guys win. I guess um, and um, so um, is there a badass female character? Yes, the Greenpeace chick. Um, they make her walk around in her panties some needlessly, but, uh, but she kicks some ass in the movie. Um, she's definitely the Ripley type character in this blue collar element. Yes, that's definitely present. Uh, the Greenpeace people are not rich. There's also another character uh, named Lee who becomes involved. Who's like a scientist, but not like a rich scientist or anything like that. And of course the science gets involved too. Um, 
Alien from the Abyss, also known as Alien from the Deep. You may see it uh, stylized as that. Fun movie. Uh, definitely a combination knockoff in this case, as the title suggests. Uh, not a good movie, but if you like schlock, give it a watch. This will be my final entry. This is going to be a brief one because the film is not really worth discussing. <laughs> it's called Star Crystal from 1986. It's directed by someone you don't know. I and feel it, like that was a really waste of a great title, though. If this I know, is, right? It, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it stars people you don't know. For the most part, the actors in this film have never done anything else. And I believe the director has not done anything else. In 2035... 11 years from the date of this recording, <laughs> two astronauts are mysteriously killed following the discovery of an artifact on Mars. Space crystals. You know what? Based on current events, that shit could happen. Totally. <laughs> Except for the fact that these, these astronauts on Mars, there were clouds in the sky. <laughs> that was like some like 1920s, you know, terrible, like Victorian you, era, even you know, like, here's one, what Mars is like. One reason why it's so bad is with the crystals angle, they're trying to rip off in Seminoy. They tried to rip off the right, the wrong movie. Uh, let's just put a, <laughs> let's just put a red filter on it. Anywho. Oh God. This movie, it, it, it's, they tried, they really, really tried. Um, the exterior of the space station where these people received said star crystals, it was the top half of a toy Millennium Falcon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you got it? I got you. You got a feel for this? Like literally the toy actual Millennium Falcon? Yeah, but it's like a close-up so you can't really tell what it is. But uh, yeah, that's what it was. Um, <laughs> this movie was so piss poorly done, the computer readout has some misspellings on it because the alien, I'm sorry, actually I said I'm jumping all over the place. The alien uh, gets on board and like starts to digest the uh, human experience, the human evolution by way of the computer. There are misspellings on the computer readout, including the Arctic and the Antarctic. uh, Neutron with N-U-E-tron. There is Buddhism as a religion. As well as, <laughs> I feel like you must have paused the screen and read. The, just the wait, printout. just wait. As well as the religion Judaism <laughs> or Judaism. Uh, so yeah, this that is pretty, wasn't even close. Pretty Judaism. shitty. Uh, the the film ends with an original song. So there's that. Um, but the thing that you need to know about this movie that is almost always a red flag. There, this is what you need to know about this movie. There's a white guy. There's a black guy, and there are three white chicks. Oh. Okay? Uh, Both of the males are very smarmy, very chauvinistic. Uh, The lead female is pissed off. And the other two are naked most of the time? Uh, They're they're not naked. One of them looks like... uh, Oh, I don't want to... This is going to sound so mean. There was one of them. She looks like Sigourney Weaver with a gap tooth. She dies early. Whoever designed the set, I use that design word loosely again. All of the doors are about three feet tall. Like well, maybe they were going for a Suspiria thing. Remember? So like you gotta you gotta hunch over to get in, and there is a long tunnel separating most of the parts of the sh- of the space station. So everyone's crawling in these low ceiling tunnels for most of the movie, back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. 
it's a labor to watch this movie. Mm. But by the end, you have the lead and the pissed off female who's not pissed off n- anymore. So I guess she has two dimensions to her That's character. That's her character arc. Yeah, she, she has she, two dimensions yeah. to her character. Pissed off and not pissed off. And she evolves from pissed off to not pissed right, off. Right, <laughs> because she warms up to the antics of the makeshift captain. This movie's piece of trash. It's a piece of <laughs> shit. Um, do not watch it. I guarantee you that you... Not even you, fun on the uh, camp meter? Well, maybe a little bit. Um, blue Collar, yes. 50s uh, cat and mouse, not so much. Reproduction, not so much. No schlock, absolutely. It is total schlock. Uh, capable female lead, no way in hell. Corporate shenanigans, don't think so. Is there a beast? Yes, there's a beast, and he's not very scary. So that's my last one. Um, I regret even bringing this whole concept of an episode up after watching that one movie. <laughs> but we're done. We finished it. We came through the other side. We survived. We're on the shuttle back to the corporation. Uh, we yeah. just talked about nine movies, and only one of them was a unanimous piece of shit yeah so, I mean, that's a pretty good ratio no, no, for alien knockoff. yeah a lot of these have their redeeming qualities but for the most part uh yeah uh just watch the original the original is the uh, gold standard as it's called because it has some very basic elements to a film that are handled so immaculately that it withstands the test of time i mean this the alien is so freaking good Despite what you may think about any of the sequels, I think that the first one is really just a dynamite film. That's going to wrap us up on the uh, the whole knockoff thing. We got one more week left. We're doing Exorcist movies, so we're going to talk about the Exorcist, and we're going to talk about the many, 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 many knockoffs. We're just so in time many. for its fiftieth uh, anniversary. Yes, a hundred percent. So we're we're looking forward to that. We'll wrap up knockoff month. With that one, you well, guys, well, there's a uh, that's timely because there's a Exorcist. Yes, is it like a reboot? No, it's a new one. It's a new one that's. I've. <laughs> it looks like it's trying too it, hard for me not, from uh, the for yeah. the trailers. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. We'll get there. Uh, I've got some things I've heard. I haven't watched it myself, but uh, I've heard some things. By next week, I'll probably have seen it. So. Yeah, so. Join us, please, won't you? Uh, in the meantime, uh, anybody got plugs? Anybody want, want to talk about anything they want to plug? Any movies you've seen? Any shows you've seen? I have both a movie I've seen recently and a plug. Go for uh, it. I'd rec- it seems like every time that I think that I've, I've exhausted John Carpenter's catalog, a movie pops up that's like a lost John Carpenter classic. And I recently had that experience again this week, and it was uh, in the mouth of madness, which is on Criterion Channels. Sam Neill, uh, yeah, King that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's on Criterion Channels. Nineties uh, horror, nineties horror curated yeah. list, and uh, it's pretty damn good. Very like a Lovecraftian thing involving a writer who's writing things into reality, the apocalypse, basically, and it's pretty damn good. I had. Uh, one uh, oh, Psycho two. So I didn't. I oh, just ass- I just assumed that that would be a shitty franchise, uh, but uh, I ended up watching it. And and by the way, so there's a uh, four or or yeah, four of them. And um, Anthony Perkins is in all of them. 
The second one is a damn good movie. Yes, it is. It is, is it as good as Psycho? No. No. But it is a damn good movie. Meg Tilly is in A young Meg Tilly is in it. She's great in it. Um, and I would highly recommend people seek out and see that movie. The ending is somewhat botched. I wasn't crazy about it, but it is like a damn solid sequel to a classic movie uh, that I was not expecting at all. Awesome. I watched from Criterion in their techno thrillers catalog a Cronenberg movie that I have not yet seen from 1999. It got buried with all of the underneath all the other great films of 99 called Existence. Capital X, capital Z. That sounds like a prescription drug. This is Jennifer Jason Lee and Jude Law. In a very matrixy slash inceptiony kind of film, in which she plays a game designer that involves, in typical Cronenberg fashion, getting a uh, port put in the base of your spine that looks like a butthole, and having to plug into a game pod that's made from amphibian and reptile parts, and that's where the madness begins. <laughs> Um, I kind of liked it. I thought it was kind of quirky and weird and typical Cronenberg. There are there was a there are guns made of reptile skeletons that shoot teeth. Perfect. Ooh. So what you know, as you do in a Cronenberg movie. Yes. But having to uh, either lubricate or manually lick the little game port to shove it into your partner's back butthole. Long live the new flesh. Very much a Cronenberg kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, check that one out if you've got Criterion or if you've got the means to watch it. Uh, we're going to be back next week. We're going to wrap this one up with a bow. Thank you for joining us. Please rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on all your socials. We're Cinema Chop Shop on everything except for YouTube. We're Cinema Chop Shop Podcast, where you can listen to a video presentation of this. And thankfully not watch us. Don't, thank God. We stopped doing that a long time ago. In the meantime, please remember to watch Chop Retrofit. Retrofit. Joey, please get here on time next time. Thank <laughs> you.